0: You did so much better earlier. <laughs> you did so much better. You liked the kids' video, didn't you? You're like, oh, now we gotta listen to him. <laughs> That's good. I understand. That's how I feel. Um, but hey, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and we are wrapping up this series we've been doing the last like five or six weeks called Made for Mission. And um, whether you were just joining us now or um, you've been through the whole thing, I-, I have loved this series. This is where my heart flows because. Um, I just know for a fact that God has a calling on every single person, that we all have a calling, that we all have a purpose and a plan, that, and that God has invited us to join and to continue the mission that Jesus started. And because that, we have a message that we can share. We, have, we can tell people what God has done for our lives and then trust him for the outcome. And why, when we talked last week, why are we on mission and, and all that stuff? It's because all the people around us. I mean, I, I show you if you were here last week, you found out that um, there are 30,000 people living within three miles of this building right here. And that's that's our why. And, and so there's it, all that. And if you've missed any of them and you're like, man, I'd like to hear more about this. You can always go to our Facebook page, Grace Baptist at Four Corners, and we video them all so you can go back and see them and, and catch up. Um, but this morning, I, I want to kind of just wrap this whole series up and everything. But I have a question for you with a show of hands. Who knows their grandparents' first name? Who knows their great-grandparents' first name? Leave your hands up. Great-great-grandparents' first name. Well done. Well done. For the rest of us, we're only a few decades away, basically, from being forgotten. Welcome to church. We're dismissed. (laughs) No, I'm not I'm not gonna leave you there and everything. But but I mean the idea that it is that, that name goes on, but this morning what I really want to talk to you about is that God's calling on our lives. This calling we have been talking about for weeks and weeks is bigger than our lifetime. Listen to me when I say that. The calling that God has placed in our life is bigger. Bigger than our lifetime it 's bigger than just you and me and what we do in the amount of years that god 's given us that it stretches beyond all that and I, I want to show you how and, and why that should be as we talk about this idea of being made for a mission and this idea that we are called not only to be on mission but to bring someone with us as we 're going on mission. so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter eight. <coughs> If you don't have a Bible, we have them spread out around. You can grab them. If you have misplaced or you don't have yours and you like our version, put your name in it. That's our gift to you. If you'd rather use an electronic device, we have a Wi-Fi here. Just find the GBC guest and type in find more, and you can follow along with that. Um, but as always and forever, um, I'll never stop saying it, that these are the only words that matter this morning. I, 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 can't, I can't emphasize that enough every single week these these are the only words that make life change these are the only words that that change hearts and and change destinies my words mean absolutely nothing compared to these words and so if you don't hear anything else i want you to hear these words it's the only authority i have to be here it's the only authority we have to be a church and so out of respect for that and out of acknowledgement of that i'm just going to ask if you'll stand with me as we read god's word this morning and luke 8 starting at verse 40 It says when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus's feet and pleaded with him, come to his to come to his house because he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. And while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe instantly her bleeding stopped who touched me jesus asked when they all denied it peter said master the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you someone did touch me said jesus i know that power has gone out for me and when the woman saw that she was discovered she came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed daughter he said to her, your faith has saved you go in peace While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, Stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but, then, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. you pray for me? God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this whole journey that you have brought us on these last few weeks. God, the idea that you have called us to a mission, a purpose. God, and it is bigger than us. It is bigger than this church. It is bigger than every individual here. God, it is bigger than our life. Father, I just pray this morning that you would speak to us. God, that these would be your words and not mine. God, that you would hide me. God, that you would change us, that you would challenge us. God, encourage us, Father, that we would be different as we leave this morning, that we would just be empowered and emboldened to live this mission that you've called us to. Father, I pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and for the courage to live it outside these walls. God, that we would be the church everywhere we go. And that, God, things would happen today in such a way that you're the only one that can get credit. You're the only one that gets the glory. God, bring revival and start with me. Father, just have your way now. Move in our midst. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been on this entire journey for the last five weeks. Um, about being made for mission and and what that looks like and and who we're called to and what our message is and what that mission is and and, and all these things. But today I just really, really want to tie it all together Um, and and just get this idea that it's a mission that it's not just about us. I mean, so often we see so many people that live their faith and live their life kind of Lone Ranger style, you know, without Tonto. I just aged myself, sorry. But, I mean, it is. It's like, I can just do it. I can do it. I, you know, I hear people all the time, like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of church. I'm just going to live out my faith. And God has always dealt with us in community. If, you've, if you look through Scripture, God has always called a community of people. It's always been about a group of people. It's never really individuals. Even when there's one individual leader, there's a group of people surrounding him. And, and that, that continues on today. And, and, and so the idea is that we are called not only to be on this mission, but to bring someone along with us. Now, the truth is that sometimes we get some big opportunities. God opens a door, and it just seems huge, and, and it's great. And that's kind of what happened here. Look back at verse 40. It says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was the leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had only... He had an only daughter about twelve years old, and she was dying. I want you to understand something about Jairus. It says he was kind of the leader in the synagogue. I want you to picture that because we don 't really go to synagogue we don 't really hang out in that culture it 's like the mayor of the city it 's like the big wig in the town, the most probably one of the most respected people, the person that has the most influence and so you've you got to imagine like, wow, what an opportunity for Jesus and his disciples and his followers to really kind of get some some steam and some headway in this movement that they started in his preaching because, man, if we can change like this guy and he believes, man, the whole city's going to believe. And it goes on and on. And so there's this idea of this huge opportunity that goes on. And so, of course, I don't know exactly what Jesus is thinking, but I bet knowing the disciples and reading about them, especially like Peter, he's like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to look so good that our name's going to get out. This is going to be huge. This is going to be great for us. This is such a big opportunity. And I think a lot of times that's what we're looking for. God, give me a big opportunity to do something huge for you. But the truth is that sometimes the things that, that happen, we miss because we're so focused on something bigger happening. And, and that's really the, this whole whole story. So, So just going on from there, it looks like, It says, while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. So everyone, wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. And so they're just like pressing in on him, and they're all against him. And it says, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe, and instantly her bleeding stopped. And then Jesus asked this crazy, almost comical question, who touched me? And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. It, it, it's almost like, Jesus, we have this thing going on. And here's this lady. First of all, you need to understand something about this lady. We don't know exactly what the issue was. But the truth is, is when a woman was bleeding and stuff like that, she was considered unclean. This, this woman was, was cast out probably from her family. She couldn't hang out. And, and no one could touch her. No one could like, be with her and think because it would make them unclean. So she was shunned. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't hang out in the women's group. She couldn't do it. And so she probably felt really hopeless. And I want you to picture the courage of this woman, too, that everyone in that town knows her. They know all about her. It's a small town. So how many of you grew up in a small town where everybody knew everybody's business? It's like living in a fishbowl. So I, I grew up and I have a family and stuff, and I was related to everyone. <laughs> They were all my cousins. It was scary at some times. I was at college. I met a girl and we're like, hey, we should go to one of these formals. And I found out like, wait a minute, you're my cousin. No, (laughs) because they're everywhere. And everybody knew everybody's business. And so they knew her and the courage of that, that she had. It said the crowd was pressing in on Jesus. So there's a huge crowd. So she had to push through. Can you imagine the stairs? Can you imagine the comments? Why are you here? Get out of here. You're dirty. And the courage it took for her to go. And then Jesus says, well, who touched me? And here's Peter. I love Peter because I think we're going to hang out in heaven a lot because open mouth, insert foot. That's Peter. That's me most of the time, too. He looks at him and says, Jesus, there's a thousand people here. They're all touching you. What do you mean who touched you? We have important business here. The leader of the synagogue here, this main man asked us to come. Who touched you? Who touched you? See, the problem is I think we get so focused on something big. You know, as a pastor, I fall into this sometimes. Like, man, if we just do this, we could like triple our size and there's this program. If we do that and we do this strategy or do that, we could just we could become huge and mega. And we get so focused on the big stuff that we miss the divine distractions that God gives us. We miss the little things. Look what happens. Jesus answered, verse 46, he said, someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know the power has gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. No one is ever too small, too insignificant for Jesus not to stop. Not good news. I mean, we see it over and over again. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. They think that he's going to be crowned as king. And there's some blind guy sitting on the road saying, hey, Jesus, son of David, can you heal me, heal me, heal me? And all the disciples are like, dude, shut up. We're in a hurry. We're busy. And Jesus stops. Over and over again, you see in Scripture, Jesus stops. And I think so often we get so focused on something bigger that we miss these divine distractions that God said, here's a moment. I was, I was, I did my job in security last night. I was at Universal Studios, and there was a memorial service. Some one of our team members passed away, um, kind of a big wig, and they took an entire club, and they had a memorial service. And my job was basically to stand there for four hours and just say, are you part of this? No, sorry, keep moving. <laughs> you know, People are nosy. By the way, I had more people come up. What's going on there? It's a private event. What kind of event? Private. It's in the name. It <laughs> means I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Oh, it's a wedding. It's a private event. <laughs> one of those one of those guys came up to me. And he's like, "What's going on there? It's a private event." And he's like, "Oh, well, you know, it's, this is a great place. You should come to Vegas sometime." I said, "Well, you know, probably not. <laughs> I like my marriage. I like my life, and so probably probably not." He's like, "Oh, it's all about choices." We started having like a ten minute conversation between choice and God's sovereignty, and everything. Just sitting there talking about God's love and His grace and His power and what happens if I was focused on my big job? Divine distractions. And I bet we get them every day if we'll just pay attention. So so it's this it's this beautiful picture of that. And, and so but Jesus didn't stop. And so I just encourage you, little like rabbit trail here, don't miss those. Always be ready, the Bible says, to give an answer for the hope. Always yeah, be ready. Right. Always be ready. And, and so the story keeps going on. And so so this woman comes, she's healed. The courage it took, the faith it took just to reach out. And, and then all of a sudden, while that's happening, while I'm still speaking in verse forty nine says um, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Can you imagine the feeling right then? Peter kind of standing there going, oh, we blew it. We had this opportunity to do this big thing and you had to stop Jesus for her. Really? And I love when it says in verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid, only believe and she'll be saved. And after he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying because she's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. I don't know if this was just disrespect or if this was like, that's a really awkward thing. Have you ever been in that statement where someone says something just like, that was awkward, how to, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> let's just laugh. I think it was more that, just because of the gravity of the situation. They're like, no, sh- she's dead. Maybe he didn't hear right. But Jesus wasn't deterred at all. Verse 54, so he said he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but the but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Isn't that beautiful? This amazing, amazing miracle. This, this beautiful picture. Of, of Jesus coming in, not only, I mean, it's a double miracle. You got the woman that comes through the crowd. She just touches. She's healed. And then and then this girl that's dead and everything, and he raised her from the dead. And, and everyone's like, wow, this is amazing. And I think if you're like me, a lot of times when I read Scripture, I'm like, that is so cool, Jesus. You rose from the dead, and, and you just healed this person. and And it was all that stuff. And I used to read that that way, but I don't think the biggest impact here was Jesus raising that girl from the dead. I think the biggest impact was in the who he brought with him. I, I think everything Jesus does is it's, has a very specific meaning. He, he's trying to show something. He's always always teaching and everything. And, and Jesus, he was Lazarus from the dead. He did all kinds of miracles all the time. And, and we get stuck on the miracles. We like the miracles because they're flashing everything. But I don't think that was the biggest impact. I think it was who Jesus brought with him. Look at, look back at verse 51. What does it say? He says, and after he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James and the child's father and mother. I mean, if, if it's me and I'm doing something pretty miraculous, I want everyone to see. But Jesus, is like, no, I just want you guys. And why Peter? Because Peter just took his foot in his mouth again. Peter, the guy that always messes up and, and everything, but but he brings them in so that they're the only ones that see it. And I think that's the greatest impact. And I'm going to get to that. I'll make my point on that. But the truth is, is Jesus almost always brought somebody when he was doing something. If you noticed that I tried to count it and, and I lost count. Then there were times that Jesus was alone and he prayed and he did things all by himself. But most of the time he always brought someone with him. To see it. I think Jesus' leadership style is the most amazing, perfect leadership style that there ever was. And ever will be. And basically his leadership style was like, hey, come with me. Come watch what I do. Let's do it together. And then he tells him, go do it. And that was his leadership style. And there has not been any better leader, any greater leader than Jesus. Think about that for a minute. This little tiny movement that started in a nowhere area. It's still going on over 2000 years. Millions upon millions of people have been affected and it's still growing and moving. And it was this whole idea just spread everywhere across our globe. And you think of any leader in history that had that much impact. Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. And he says, this is how we do it. In fact, listen to his last words. Before he leaves. He looks at his disciples and he says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We all know that verse. If you've been around church at all, you've probably heard that. You've probably heard it preached a thousand different times in different ways. But did you know that the actual best translation for that in the Greek is not go, therefore, it's as You go, therefore, make disciples. As you're going, as you're doing the job that God has put you in, as you were teaching or you're in the neighborhood, as you were living, as you were going, make disciples. And as you do it, bring someone along with you. When Jesus told him this, it wasn't like, okay, Peter, you go here, James, you go there, John, you go. It was everyone, as you go, go along and bring someone With you. Can I ask you? As you're going. Who are you bringing with you? You want a life that lasts beyond your lifetime? You want something that has impact. That continues long after you are gone? Then you bring somebody with you. That's what Jesus did. He brought Peter. He brought James. He brought John. He showed him these things. Mount of Transfiguration. He only brought. He didn't bring everybody. He only brought a few. And he brought people along. And so I want to challenge you today that as you go, you need to be bringing someone along with you. As you go in your faith, as you stretch out in your faith, as, as you're growing in your faith and you're, you're spreading the gospel, and you're being on mission, as we've been talking about, guys, this is the point of this entire series. It's not about just like, oh, I have a mission. Great. Check. I have a message, check. I know who I'm supposed to be. But it's the idea that that mission continues on because somebody took us along at some point. Think about that for a minute. Somebody took the time to invest in you, or you wouldn't be here today. So, parents, bring your kids. Bring your kids. Bring them to church. Bring them with you if you got, hey, we're going to go around and pray in the neighborhood. Bring your kids. Be a model to your kids. Show them that, man, I'm going to pass this on to my kids. Bring them along. One of the greatest tragedies of our culture right now is we've made church secondary, we've made everything else primary. For you don't know how many years in youth ministry I was at where parents are like, we're like, man, we've got this event. We've got this thing. We're inviting kids. We're going to share the gospel. They've got soccer. (laughs) Woo-hoo. <laughs> what does soccer do for eternity? I mean, I understand that we have commitments, but parents, I want to challenge you. We need to make church, we need to gathering as his people and going out as his people a priority again. You're wondering why there are no, that we see fewer and fewer young people showing up at churches? Because we told them their entire lives, it's not as important as your sport or your activity and so bring your kids. I- invite somebody. Invite somebody to join you. If you're involved in a ministry, you're like, man, I love what I'm doing. I'm-, I'm going out and feeding people or I'm working in children's ministry. Invite somebody to join you in ministry. Hey, come along and do this. You know, the best recruiter in the church is you, not the pastor. That's the problem. We expect the pastor gets up. I make announcements all the time. Hey, we need help here. We need help here. We need help here. And everyone's like, yeah, OK, pastor needs help. Yeah, pastor needs help. Look at me. <laughs> This is what you got. Yeah, I need a lot of help. Best recruiter is you when you're involved in some type of ministry and say, hey, would you come along with me and do this with me? As you go, invite somebody to your home group. Invite somebody to church, for goodness sake. This was devastating to me this week. On average, we invite zero non-Christians to church every year literally the number was so low they rounded just down it was easier just to say zero as you go invite people on this journey with you share your life with you see the problem is, is I think we make excuses we look at people and say they're not ready they're gonna mess up this is gonna be embarrassing. This is- you don't know that. Stop assuming. Listen, one or two things are going to happen if you invite somebody to come along with you in your faith. Either, either they're going to surprise you and like, wow, they are really squared away. They're amazing. Look at how great they are. Or they're just going to totally mess it up. <laughs> By the way, either way, God redeems. Some of the greatest lessons we learn is when we fail. The greatest things we learn about God is when we try something and we mess up and we fail. And God shows us, here's a better way. You and I aren't called to judge who is equipped. We're just called to invite as we go. Just come along with me. Come along with me. Invite them to church. If they don't like this church, then come and talk to me. We will find them a church where they can fit in, where they can be in covenant, and they can be serving and everything, because that's more important to me. Yes, I'd love to see our church grow and expand and and get more stable and all that stuff. I love that stuff, and that's my heart now. I want to see it happen, but I want to see more of those 30,000 people are standing there somewhere hearing the gospel. And if it's not here, it's got to be somewhere else. And if if you need to go, like, hey, Pastor, I'm taking Sunday off because I'm going to take my friend to this other church, yeah, I'm going to be a little hurt, but I'm going to be Okay. Because we invite them as we go. No matter what we think of the people, God still uses them. God still uses them, and so we invite. In fact, look what happened. Jump over to Acts chapter 9. Peter, who put his foot in his mouth all the time. Listen to this story. Look at verse 36. Acts nine thirty six. it says in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was also doing good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with him when he arrived they led him to the room upstairs and all the widows and all the widows approached him weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them peter sent them all out of the room he knelt down and prayed and turning toward the body said tabitha get up she opened her eyes saw peter and sat up He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Does that story sound familiar at all? Where do you think Peter saw that? Where do you think Peter witnessed that, saying, the Lord did it? Maybe I can, too. What would happen if Jesus said, Peter, you're a knucklehead. Stay outside. And he never saw that. You see, when we invite people, when when we bring someone along, they see what's possible. Listen, I'm not saying you have to be perfect and you have to be like a super saint or any of that stuff. I mean, show them, show them the good stuff. Show them the bad stuff. Show them it all. If you've been around here long enough, you know, I kind of just sit up here and like, blah, here's me. I've struggled with this. I have problems with this all the time because I, I want you to know that I'm still a work in progress. God is still perfecting and changing me. And one day it's going to be done, but it ain't done yet. And it's the same for you, but I want people to come along with me. I want people to see the power of God and everything. That's what Peter did. That's why I say the bigger impact was not that Jesus raised that girl from the dead or that one was healed, but that somebody saw him do it and had the faith that I can do what my Lord did. I can be the same type of person. That's what we're called to be when we follow a rabbi. We're supposed to start looking and acting just like Jesus. Every year we should grow closer and more like them. Listen, if you were not the same, if you, one year ago today, If you are not any closer to Jesus, any more like him than you were one year ago, then we need to talk because there's a problem. Because every year, every day, we should be coming more and more like him because he invites us to come alongside him. And we do that just like him. We invite other people. I mean, that's what Paul said, for goodness sake. Paul looked at him and says, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he brought people along, Timothy and Titus and all these people. He brought them along and they saw and the church spread and grow. How do you think this thing has lasted for over 2,000 years? Because we've invited other people to come and be a part of this and come and be a part of our faith walk so that their faith walk happens. Listen, there's only one thing that you and I are going to take into eternity. And that's people. I don't care how much is in your bank account. I don't care what's in how many degrees you have. All that other stuff. The only thing we take into eternity with us. We don't even take our clothes. We're getting a new robe. <laughs> <laughs> is people. It's the only thing we take. That's the mission we're called to. To bring others along with us. I want to introduce you to an idea this morning as we kind of wrap this whole series up. It's called Yes on the Table. I want to ask you this morning. Whether you're a visitor, you're a tender, you're a member, you've been here since the beginning. I want to ask you, are you willing to say yes? God, I don't know who. I don't know what. I don't know how, I don't even know when, but I say yes to be on mission. I, I say yes, that I will invest in other people. I will invite people to come along with me. I will, I will share what you have done in my life. I will, I will say yes, no matter every opportunity, I will be ready, and I say yes. Are you willing to say yes this morning? Because it's more about just someone preaching on a stage. It's about us investing in one another. It's about us investing in the people out there. They need to see Jesus in us so they hear Jesus from us. We have to be willing to say, God, no matter what, I'm not going to make any jumps, assumptions. I'm not going to make any judgments. I just say, yes, God, whoever, whenever, whatever, however, I say Yes, because that's what it's about. I think that's what Paul was really talking about in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become dear to us. Is there someone in your life that you can say right now, I want to invite this person to join me. I want this person to walk along with me. And they may say no, and they may fight you on it. And God may put someone else on your heart, but, but the idea is, am I willing just to say yes today? I will be on mission. Whenever, however, whoever, yes, my yes is yes, God, and I'm just going to trust you to open the door. That's what I'm calling us to this morning. I'm calling every single one of us, me included, just to say yes. No matter what it looks like, whatever happens. Whether this church grows or this church folds, it doesn't matter. What matters is we say yes because it's about his kingdom, his glory, not ours. I believe all my heart that God has placed you here at this time in the neighborhood you're at, in the job that you're at, wherever you live, whether you are from up north or you're just visiting for a week or or you're here for all the time. It doesn't matter. God has placed you there because there's someone that needs to see and hear about Jesus. That's why Jesus said. That's why he said, then seek first his kingdom. Because that's our first job. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're supposed to be. As we go along, as we make disciples, we seek his kingdom, his righteousness. And then everything else will work itself out. But if I'm worried about everything else, then his kingdom's not growing through you. And you are missing a blessing beyond belief. I've told you this before. I remember being a 13-year-old young man in junior high. And the first time I shared the gospel with someone. And the kid answering back to me says, I want to do that. I will never forget. Robert Ward was his name. I have no idea who he is, where he lives now, or what happened to his life. But I know that moment. And from that moment on, I have been hooked. Because I was willing to say yes. Are you willing to say yes and put yes on the table? In your seats, we put this little card. And we've been doing this whole thing, made for mission. And all it says is yes. And here's what I want you to do. And I know this may be uncomfortable. This may be a struggle for some people and stuff. Um, Don't care. (laughs) Good things happen when hard things are done. See, because I, I believe God calls us to accountability. God calls us to public profession. I think Jesus very clearly said, man, if you profess me in the public, I will profess you in front of the Father. But if you're embarrassed of me, I don't know you. And so it's very, very simple. All it says is yes. God, I don't know who, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what, but God, I say yes. And so I'm just going to put my name on this. And maybe right now God is already putting someone on your heart saying, man, who can I invite to come along with me? I've got a list of like 10 people that are lost as lost can be. I work with them, and I'm like, man, it would be awesome just to have more conversations, just to bring them along to kind of do it. And, and, and so I'm going to say yes, God, and this is who I think you're calling to. You. And then I challenge you this morning when our response time begins that you fill that out, you get up, and you put your yes on the table. I know it'd be easy for you just like, hey, I'm going to take this home. I'm going to pray about it, and then I'll see how God leads and everything. And that's awesome, but no, not today. This is about me standing up and saying, God, I say yes. In front of all of you, I say yes, that I'm going to live on mission. No matter what that looks like, I'm going to live on mission. And I want you to hold me accountable, and I expect God to hold (laughs) me accountable to that. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to make a public statement. And I, like I said, I know that may be difficult, that may be hard, but let me tell you something. Hard makes it worthwhile. Because nobody's going to sit there and judge you. Nobody's gonna, I'm not going to sit there and go like, oh, who, you didn't put a name down. You no. I'm going to look at this and I'm going to pray for you every single day. God, continue to put them on mission. I want you to know you have a pastor that prays that God wrecks your lives every single week. <laughs> That God just breaks you down and that you have to live on mission. I know that sounds like, wow, we're really glad we came this morning. But I pray that. Like, God, just just put them on mission, whatever it takes. Make them uncomfortable, whatever you need to do. But just let them say yes. Because I know for a fact that your faith will double, triple, and expand beyond anything you understand when you say yes. Because it's not just about Jesus being Savior. It's about him being Lord. It's about us saying, I surrender. I surrender. And so I say yes, publicly. Are you ready to say yes? Are you ready to bring someone on with you? Because that's what we're called to be. That's what this has all been about. We are on mission. And it is a mission that lasts beyond our lifetime when we bring others with us. It's up to you see what God does with your yes. Let's pray.